Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, Be Awesome listeners. This is episode 73 of the Be Awesome podcast and I am your host, Joshua Peach, in the basement. I am a cellar dweller for this episode. Uh, My two and a half year old chance decided to take a nap and I got the opportunity to have a longtime friend. Uh, Eric Stolhansky joined me for this podcast, so we had to make it happen one way or the other. So I got a bed sheet up behind me and uh, storage containers behind that. But uh, Eric, welcome first and foremost to the Be Awesome podcast. Thanks, Josh. Welcome to Bra- Brave New World we're in, right? Yeah. Bed yeah. sheets and basements and <laughs> whatever it takes. Uh, you know, I got to open this up. Um, one of the things that I share with my Be Awesome listeners and followers is the importance of relationships and connections. And I always like to share how my relationships and connections start. And uh, yours is a, a very unique one. I'll take myself back to, I think it was about 2012, might've been even 2011, but uh, we I was at a conference in Myrtle Beach and uh, my uh, Dallas Cowboy fan, Dan Frawley was with me. He came down from uh, North Carolina for a night of uh, drinking and lighting off fireworks on the beach. And uh, another friend of mine, Greg Mesher, who owns a whole bunch of bars down there, one of them is uh, known as The Office, uh, and he has a, a billboard out front, and he always puts my name uh, up in lights, if you will, when I come to town. So I can't remember exactly what it said, but I think it was something like, welcome Dan and Peaches to the beaches, or something like that. And uh, Dan took a picture of the billboard and sent it to Eric, who I've never met. And uh, there was some response back that was funny, but it was like, who's Peaches type of thing. And uh, we ended up having kind of a dialogue back and forth talking about life and things that we do and all this stuff. Never knew each other. Next thing you know, uh, lining up speaking gigs for Eric and getting to spend some time with them and enjoying ourselves and, and have had such an amazing uh, friendship um, over these last eight years, even though we've only seen each other a handful of times, always have made a point to, uh, to stay in touch and truly appreciate you as a friend and as an inspiration uh, that we'll get into here, but that's how we met uh, a billboard in Myrtle beach with our name on it, uh, that happened to get texted. Uh, and that's as, that's as great as connections can make. So, uh, uh, appreciate your friendship all these years, my friend. Yeah. Funny how, uh, fate, uh, keeps certain people together, right? A lot of uh, friendships just fade away and some, uh, stay connected yep. and start for the, uh, weirdest whimsical reasons. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So, I want to cover a bunch of stuff. I could, I, I mean, I could cover about 17 hours of things, but one of the first things uh, that I think is really fitting right now is, uh, is you and, uh, and your tagline of ira- irrational determination and foolish per- perseverance that you use in your speaking. Um, talk about who, who is Eric? Like, who, who are you? Let the world know and, and let's then dig into some stuff. Open up the Pandora's box here. <laughs> what character do I want to reveal? There's yeah. A- so many options. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I have uh, some people may know me as different professions. I mean, I think I'm probably most recognized as one of the actors in a sketch comedy group called Broken Lizard. Uh, probably most probably most recognized as playing Rabbit in the comedy movie Super Troopers and Super Troopers 2. But, you know, I guess about 10 years ago when I was meeting you, I started embarking on a speaking tour. Um, and so I've been traveling on the country and like, you're talking about this speech that I was giving called uh, rational determination, foolish perseverance. 
which I still give. I, I gave it a week or two ago up at uh, Tony Horton's house in Los Angeles. Tony Horton is the, one of the founders of P90X. Uh, fitness guy and he does these summits at his house and I spoke up there about it uh, and the idea the reason behind it I should explain is that I was born without a fibula and so I was raised on a wooden leg and uh, so my whole life has sort of been this uh, rational determination to try to uh, just be like everybody else go out and do everything uh, as everyone else did uh, as kids having two regular legs um, and then going on and having a career in Hollywood and trying to take on that climb that mountain which was equally as difficult as trying to climb the mountain of having one leg as a kid and playing sports like kickball and baseball and skiing skiing and stuff like that yeah and you did all those things you know you you played all the sports and uh prosthetics you know i'm not going to reveal your age but prosthetics when you were younger were not are not like the prosthetics of today ah no (laughs) quite different it's shocking. It's never that long ago. I mean, I, I think maybe like 20 years ago, they were still made out of like uh, duct tape and uh, cherry trees. Yep. I mean, so, unbelievable. <laughs> so Tony Horton, P90X, you know, probably one of the most well-known uh, um, exercise programs. What were you doing there? Yeah. So I was uh, years ago before, I think it was Club Dread. I was trying to think of this with Tony. I was uh, getting ready for a, a film and I was uh, training at the gym. And I think it was Club Dread. It was after Super Troopers. I was working at the gym, trying to get in shape. We were going to be shooting in Mexico and I knew I was going to have to have like, my shirt off and stuff. So I wanted to be in shape. And there was a flyer and that said, come try uh, the hardest thing you'll experience in life, mentally, emotionally, physically. And it was a test group for this thing for extreme fitness. And it was called P90X. At the time, nobody had heard of it. It was Jane Fonda and Richard Simmons were like home fitness videos. This was 15 years ago. So I thought, well, maybe I'll do this, and it'll be a good reason, it'll be a good way to get in shape for the movie, and it's 90 days of free training. So I thought I'd cha- like to challenge myself. I like to try things that are hard, and at the same time, I would get in shape for uh, Club Dread. So I do it, and about, you know, it's really hard. I was having trouble struggling with it. It was very difficult to do all the exercises because like I said, it was kind of this extreme home fitness thing. And there's a lot of yoga and legs and balance and stuff. And it was hard for me. And Tony t- recently told me this week that he was like, man, this guy's having trouble in here. But he said, after like day 60, you stuck it out. And one day you showed up in shorts and everyone like did a double take and looked at you and like, what's that? And I was like, I got a prosthetic. And they're like, what? I hadn't really told anybody. And then by like day 60, things started kicking in. It took like two months for me to sort of like get the strength and balance to do this thing. And then by the time I finished uh, 90 days of it, Tony said, wow, that was really interesting. Uh, The process you went through, do you think you'd ever uh, be interested in being in the P90X video uh, in the plyo discipline, which is East German skiing technique? It's a lot of jumping and bouncing and hopping. It's a lot of things you use your leg. And he said, it would be interesting. You know, if you did it and people were watching it, they would have, they'd be motivated if they thought that they had challenges like diabetes or trouble getting off the couch or just anything. The reason they'd say, well, there's a kid doing a prosthetic, you know, let me see if I can't uh, motivate myself to get up as well and do it as well. So I thought about it and I was like, no, no, thanks. I'm not interested. And he's like, what? Why not? I said, well, you know, I, I've been trying to act in movies my whole life and I, I don't want to get typecast as being just a kid with a wooden leg. So then I'll only get parts that casting directors think I can do. Mm-hmm. I want to be seen as like an able-bodied guy. So no one pigeonholes me only being as like a guy in a wheelchair or somebody, a vet or somebody comes back, which is great. I mean, I love to play those parts, but I don't, I, Hollywood, I feel like has trouble seeing beyond just the obvious. Right. And at first I said, uh, no, I'm good. Thanks. And he came back to me. He's like, Slohansky, we got to talk. Come on. 
think about it, man. Like something you've been kind of hiding and embarrassed of your whole life. This would be a th- cool thing to look back on and say, wow, well, maybe maybe I had a prosthetic leg when I was a kid born without a fibula that helped actually um, help some people in their lives. You could use it as a, a way to help motivate people. I said, well, okay. I never thought of it that way. So maybe I shouldn't be so selfish and maybe I, I should be in the P90X video to try to help um, motivate people. And so I agreed to it. And that was sort of like my, uh, my prosthetic coming out day when I uh, sh- appeared in the P90X videos uh, in shorts. And I kind of came out the world that I had a prosthetic and uh, just said, ah, screw it. Wherever the chips fall from here, hopefully uh, people will be inspired. Yeah. I, you know, the part of the story that I've never, you know, I've, I've heard that story a number of times in your talks and things. I don't think I ever heard the part where you went 60 days of the original uh, with uh, assuming you were wearing full pants or sweatpants. sweatpants yeah. um, how did that feel? Like, I guess you had to put a, a level of vulnerability with yourself on day 60. I mean, or were you just really, really hot and you just said, I can't wear pants anymore, but like, what was that like to be able to, cause that had to be, that had to be enormous, right? That had to be just a, a huge weight on you and lifted from you when you, when you hit day 60 and said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to put shorts on instead of pants. It was, it was a cool moment. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I, uh, I was always embarrassed of being a handicapped kid growing up. So I always used to wear, you know, like the summer times, I was, you've heard this in my talk, but in the summer times I always dread the rifle of summer because uh, everyone will go down to the beach or the lakes, you know, and they're wearing shorts and stuff like that. And I was always embarrassed to be the handicapped kid. So I would always wear pants all over. I mean, I remember my parents taking us on a vacation to Florida and I went to the beach in Florida. It's like 139 degrees and I'm <laughs> out there in jeans, just dripping sweat. You know, it must, I'm sure I probably drew more attention to myself wearing jeans on the beach in Florida than I would if I had a prosthetic, if I mean, if I was just wearing shorts and a prosthetic. And I remember like playing basketball uh, in like junior high and I'd wear sweatpants and everyone else had like short shorts. Yeah. And I'm sure it, you know, created more conversation, but in my mind I was covering things up and hiding and just trying to, you know, yeah. not be embarrassed for being a handicapped kid. Um, so then, yeah. So I don't know. So this, I did 60 days of P90X and then, uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I was getting a lot of strength. I was getting stronger. I felt like I was doing a lot of things that were kind of cool for a kid with a prosthetic that uh, something shifted in me that I kind of became proud mm-hmm. instead of embarrassed at that time. And then I decided at that point, well, maybe this is kind of cool that I was able to do this extreme home fitness program that didn't really exist before. Um, I don't know. And something to me sh- shifted on day 60. Yeah, I just on one piece of that, I just want it to be said that um, for anybody that lived through the male short shorts era, uh, <laughs> it was actually better to wear sweatpants than men's short shorts. So consider yourself lucky that you that you chose that path in that little part of time of your life. I don't know, uh, Bjorn Borg pulled it off pretty well. Yeah, yeah, there's very few, very few people that pulled it off uh, very well. Yeah, <laughs> not you and me. No, no def- definitely not me. And I know I had to wear them at a point in time in my life. Um, no, you know, this. I think that one of the, the, the coolest things that I found about you, and I mean, obviously, um, I was a fan of Super Troopers. It's a great movie. We'll get in a little bit of that. Um, because I think the story behind what you and uh, your team at uh, Broken Lizard have been able to accomplish is nothing short of amazing. Um, and a, a tie into irrational determination and foolish perseverance. Yeah. Um, so you, um, but to, to finish up the, the, um, the P90X thing, 
you know, did you, when you, and I, and I don't know the answer to this, I never, I never really asked you, but did you find that there were um, people that had, whether it was uh, they were missing a limb or, a, you know, an amputee or, or had some sort of uh, what they thought a disability? Did you find a number of people that reached out to you? Did you see, see did you feel a, a feeling of accomplishment to, to help others like you initially went to do when you found, when you took those pants off? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I uh, was looking to have direct contact with anyone. I, I'm, I'm not, I mean, I'm not that I didn't want that, but I wasn't like anyone would come up to me and say, Hey, you changed my life. Yeah. The reason I say that is um, I sort of got into this idea of speaking when I was in high school, we used to have speakers that sometime would come speak in my high school. And there was a woman that showed up one day and she's, you know, in a, um, a formal skirt and uh, dressed, nicely and from where I was the vantage point in the audience I didn't recognize that anything was different with this woman her name was Rudy Ruby Ruby or Rudy Ruby Ruby and uh, she was a model in New York City and I said oh she's going to be here talking about fashion or something and then she starts telling the story about she was a model in New York City but she lost her leg to cancer and she was actually up on stage having this prosthetic and lived a full life and uh, I don't know, it just sort of gave me this glimmer of hope that, mm -hmm. wow, there's somebody else up there that looks like me that I, I never, ever see. I mean, I never saw anyone else with a prosthetic or artificial legs or eyes or legs or arms or spleens mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, just so then when she spoke, I was like, it's cool. So I thought, well, maybe one day after I achieve something, accomplish something, maybe I'll go back and give a, a talk and uh, maybe it'll reach some in the audience that I never hear from or uh, talk to, but maybe the one day they'll say, okay, well, I'm going to, maybe there's something that they have. So my sort of message is I say, uh, you might not have a prosthetic body part, but everyone has a wooden leg of some sort. Yeah. Right. And uh, even though we may see it as something we want to hide or be embarrassed of, maybe we can embrace that and see it as something that we just take on as a challenge. Um, so I'm hoping that it just, it reached out to somebody out there in the audience and maybe they um, gave them a little bit of a spark of hope. Yeah. yeah I, had, I had some people write me letters and emails and, and reach out afterwards as well. So, yes. It's funny. Um, so I have a couple of friends that have your, your missing part of your leg. Uh, another friend of mine, Aaron Ralston, who, you know, I'm, I'm friends with from 127 hours. Uh, <laughs> his, his saying is make your boulders, your blessings from his, his from the loss of his arm. Um, right, it's, right. it's really amazing to put into perspective and to look at what, um, you know, as you kind of say your weakness or what you thought was kind of your weakness, you didn't want to be that, that handicap kid or handicap adult and everything, how you've, you've been able to turn that so that it's relatable to anybody that's having problems or challenges in, in their life. And, you know, you've, you know, you've given back, um, a lot and how Dan and I, and, and how the, the, the connection is Dan's a, a retired Marine and you do a lot with, with, uh, military, um, and, and supporting them and also supporting those that have lost limbs and doing things. I know I've seen some stories about it and you and I have talked about a couple of those things, um, which I think is amazing. Uh, Cause a lot of, you know, what if, I guess, what if you never took your pants off and didn't do anything, the impact that would have had would have been minimal, but the impact that you've had since opening up and doing, I think is phenomenal. And uh, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I, I think that one of the things that's, that's, always it resonates with me with talking to you is, is that you just, you don't know how to stop. Like you don't know how to quit or give up. You just like, literally you're just always 
Like failure is not an option. Like failing would be stopping and just saying, all right, I give up. Um, but I think in every aspect of what you do and how you do it, and you may fail. I'm sure you've, you've definitely had failures, but you're not, oh, you're, not a, you're not a failure. Right? You've <laughs> right. had failures, but you're not a failure. We'll definitely keep going. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, we'll talk a little bit, let's talk a little bit about the movie history. Cause that's, that's, um, I was, I was doing some research. So I love comedy, right? So some of my favorite comedies are uh slap shot, obvious. Uh, and I played hockey growing up oh, classic, um, Caddyshack. I mean, there isn't a, there isn't a person that appreciates cat that, that, that can't appreciate Caddyshack with humor. Um, even at any age, even these the younger kids, if you show them that movie, it's laugh, you know, die laughing. A uh, Beverly Hills Cop. I don't, I, I don't know why I loved. I mean, Eddie Murphy is a great, great comedian, genius. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop two, three, four, and however many other ones. I wasn't as as big a fan, but Beverly Hills Cop was definitely one. Um, Super Troopers, <laughs> probably my early mid twenties. Uh, comedy of that was the comedy of comedies, right? Um, which was your movie uh, made in 2001 and your budget of that movie was how much? Oh, it was, uh, if we're lucky, like in the million range, it was like a million dollars. So, and this is something really not many people know. Um, you made that entire mo- movie with a million dollar budget. We'll say. Yes. Very low budget. Very, very low budget in the, you know, in comparison to big films. I mean, yeah. it, Million Dollars is considered a very low budget movie, and we made it independently, and then had to get into Sundance Film Festival, and then had to hope it was sold. So, to put into perspective, that was two thousand one, a, a, a movie, phenomenal comedy, top level, cult following. Because I'll get into the next part of Super Troopers two and beyond. Beverly Hills. I had to look this up just before we came on because it was it was like hitting my brain. I'm like, I didn't know the number, the exact number. Beverly Hills Cop was made in 1984. Their budget was $4 million with $4 million of that going to Eddie Murphy. They came in at $13 million once it was completed. Um, and then the, the other one was uh, that I was able to finally just pull it up real quick. Um, Caddyshack, 1980, cost $7 million to make. How Think did you guys... What's that? Think of all the stars in that. I mean, oh, yeah. Inflation, like, the, you know, that in 1980 money went a lot farther, but... Oh, 100%. So that would be... In 1980, 1984, that's, that's two, three, or maybe even four X what 2001 would have looked like for, for a cost uh, associated with it. Um, yeah. How did you do it? And what were you thinking? <laughs> <laughs> we had pulled off a feature before that for a hundred thousand dollars. And so a million almost sounded like a lot to us. Yeah. We're just, we were scrappy. I mean, we came out of doing sketch comedy in New York City where we would perform at this cabaret club in the West Village and we would, we would shoot these little short videos and in order to show them, we would have to lug a gigantic television from our two-story brownstone walk up. You have to lug it down these stairs, put it in a car, drive it down to West Village and then a Friday night when it's really crowded and busy and unload it lift it up two flights of stairs, plug it in, plug it in a VHS machine, and then somebody have to go park the car and run back. I mean, I don't know. We've just, we, we've always been really hungry and really scrappy mm-hmm. and gritty. I mean, I felt like we always felt like everything we did was like going on the barn and putting on a show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had each other. I mean, the cool thing was we had the, there are five of us who 
we uh, all were kind of hungry and willing to do what it took. Yep. So and the that first, was, that was hard. It was hard. Like when we were shooting puddle cruise for a hundred thousand dollars, there's, you know, we were all living in a fraternity house with, uh, Matt, you know, meals that were just cooked in mass, uh, shower, all of us showering, you know, in a fraternity shower. And there were uh, professional adults who knew how to make movies. Uh, they, they were like, what is this? You know? <laughs> and they one day the director of photography took off. He's like, I can't do this anymore. You know, it just, it, it's hard. Yeah. But, we were willing to do what it took and we showed up to shoot super troopers in the first week we were shooting a side of a highway it was august it was hot there's no catering there's no bathrooms you know the crew was like what do you what is this you know this isn't professional and they were about to leave right they're about to quit because it was really hard and our producer had to say you know he had tears welling up in his eyes and he was like please 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 this is a uh, such as a passion project for us. We've been trying to get this off the ground for five years. We scraped together every dime we could. Uh, we'll do whatever it takes to try to make you guys happy. You know, t- tomorrow will be better. We'll get some food. We'll get bathrooms. Uh, all these simple things, you know? Yeah. I think it was the Afghan that showed up on one of the first days and shooting the side of a highway. He's like, can I get a cup of coffee? I'm like, coffee? <laughs> I think it's August. It's hot out. What are you, crazy? <laughs> we don't have coffee. We are Hollywood big budget movie, you know. Uh, so, so you were actually like the 1978 Animal House real life story, because there's another great comedy right there. Belushi's probably in an air conditioned camper in 1978. <laughs> Got three people waiting on him, and and then goes and films this movie of of chaos and catastrophe. You you guys are like the real real deal of it. Yeah, we were lucky. It turned out. I mean, yeah, it was fun though. I mean, if we would have the energy at this age to go back and do that, I'm not sure, but. Um, it's great. It's really good memories. Yeah. Just just as a frame of reference, I got Puddle Cruiser a long time ago. Got it on DVD for the life of me. So I've been doing some homework because I wanted this to be not just personalized because you're my friend, but I also wanted it to be something that was uh, meaningful and, and that I was I was well well covered. As I told you, I've listened to all, all but one of your 28 podcasts you've done over <laughs> time. And I, and I took out some of, the, uh, some of your library of movies and I couldn't find Puddle Cruiser. And I haven't seen it in forever. And uh, I started freaking out. Guess how much it's for sale for right now? On uh, like eBay or something? Amazon, $44.99. What? I was going to guess $2. Yeah, no, $44.99. <laughs> it's hard to find. Yeah. Slam and Salmon's $2. Uh, <laughs> right. But it's, and it's, and it's, on, uh, it's, it's on Instant. Uh, but I, I already own that, which is, which is a great movie. In my opinion, I, uh, I laugh my ass off on that one uh, a lot. Um, they just like there's a, a a good good level of humor to it. So you did so so Super Troopers comes out. You make it for a million bucks. How does it do? Uh, well, it was interesting. So we uh, we had made Puddle Cruiser and we went to Sundance with Puddle Cruiser, and then that allowed us to get this money. And so we wrote it and we took this. Well, first of all, before that, we we wrote the script. And we went to Hollywood and people said this is a funny script. We were like it who do you think would be good to act in it? And we were like, us, you know, we wanted to be like Monty Python or kids in the hall. Yeah. And as soon as we told anyone that they were like, good luck, good luck on this movie. You know, they weren't going to make it with us acting and starring in it. Yeah. And uh, so then we had to go back and raise this money independently. So then we had to go make it independently. And then we had to get into the Sundance film festival, which the odds of that are very, very slim, but we had our last movie in it. So that they knew that we knew how to make movies. Um, Puddle Cruiser got 
the Sundance, and then Super Troops got a Sundance in 2000. And then by the grace of God, uh, Fox Searchlight happened to pick it up because they saw an audience that was laughing and responding to it. So then uh, it came out in theaters. And again, we obviously were not movie stars. So um, it did, uh, in the box office, it did pretty well for a movie that didn't have movie stars. I think it ultimately made about $18 million uh, in the box office, uh, which is a very good number for a movie that doesn't have, that has a bunch of unknown actors in it. Mm-hmm. And then it did, and then mostly I think it found its life on DVD, you know, a year or two later, we didn't really get much pop off of it right away, but it was like a year or two later, you'd see people, you'd go out to a baseball game or you'd be somewhere and people would be yelling, Hey, Farva! Or you know, <laughs> they'd be coming at you with a bottle of maple syrup. So you'd see all these little things were starting to resonate. Um, yeah. The people would start reciting lines to you, meow, yeah. shenanigans, bear fucker, <laughs> uh, all these kind of things that people start yelling at you in public when you're with your parents. Yeah. Hey, bear fucker! <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, so then yeah. I started, yeah, so it was like this cult thing. You mentioned that it kind of became this cult uh, movie, yeah. like a Rocky Horror Picture Show or something, you know, it's something that kind of caught on via DVD. Yeah. I think people pass DVDs around. Yeah. So yeah, two, 2001 was a different time, you know, no yeah. high speed internet. Yeah. People had DVDs, Blu-rays were out. Uh, you know, people yeah. actually bought Blu-ray players, which I never got into, but, uh, you know, CD players, you didn't have, you know, MP3s that Napster was just, was just out there. So yeah, so it's yeah. a lot easier. I think it's, I think it's probably a little bit easier. Well, it's a lot easier to build a cult following on social media and other places today than it was back then. Um, you know, and, you know, so that was 2001, we met in 2011 or 2012. And uh, there was, while it was uh, cult following, and all sorts of, you know, greatness to the super troopers, there was no sequel uh, that that followed. And uh, I think that most people, after a period of time, would be like, man, uh, the people, you know, do people want to see more of a rabbit? Do they want to see more of a uh, of Thorny and, and, uh, and Farva and, you know, they want, do they want more? Um, you guys in what, 2014 or 15, right? Well, yeah, 15, yeah. Yeah. 15. You guys did something that's only been done a couple of times, I think. And I think you're the second highest next to, I can't remember who it was that crowdfunded your movie. Right. Yeah. It was an interesting process. We, uh, and, uh, Right after Super Troopers, there was a lot of interest in doing a sequel, but, you know, we, we had this background as a sketch comedy group, mm-hmm. and we were heavily influenced by, like, Monty Python making Holy Grail and the Life of Brian and stuff. So we were interested in trying to make, not a sequel per se, but uh, another movie where, where we could play different characters and write different plot lines. So then, we you know, we had made Club Dread and then Beer Fest and Simon Salmon. So some time went by, and... There was a, a time kind of many, like maybe five or six, or seven years after Super Troopers came out that we started writing Super Troopers 2 when we went back to Fox Searchlight and they were interested and they liked the script. Uh, but then again, we made a couple more movies. And so, I don't know, it's a bit complicated story, but when we we finally went back to them, they um, they just didn't know. And like the question you're asking is they just didn't know if the audience was still there, right? Like had mm-hmm. we made the sequel right away, they would have made it. But, you know, here we are 15 years later, like, hey, you want to make a sequel to a movie from 15 years ago? And they were like, ah, we like the script. We like you guys. We just, we're not sure if the audience is there, right? Right. And so we're like, well, people, 
you know, we, we would say like people are asking us all the time, where's the sequel? And they, we seem to feel that that was an, an interest was out there because on the street, we would have interaction with people where they were telling us that they wanted it. Mm-hmm. But the studio just didn't, they never experienced that, right? So they didn't know if it, that it was going to be a demand. Yep. So ultimately they said, well, we just aren't sure. And so then we said, well, we didn't want to give up on it. Again, this idea of like determination and perseverance, we didn't want to give up on the idea. So we knew Veronica Mars and I think maybe Zach Braff had done a crowdfunding mm-hmm. campaign that was successful at Garden State. Maybe it was their sequel to Garden State. I know there was a Veronica Mars. And so we said, well, maybe we could crowdfund it. You know, there seems to be uh, an interest and we feel like there's an audience out there for it. So, you know, we put this crowdfunding campaign together and we had no idea if it was going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, we first hit that start button on day one. We we didn't know if you're going to make five bucks, 10 bucks. You know, a lot of crowdfunding campaigns just, they don't, they don't take off. So we were nervous. We were terrified, right? We had no idea. We felt like we put together a pretty strong campaign. We spent like six weeks putting together this campaign. The whole campaign was, uh, if you want to see Farva get out of the trunk, help us make Super Troopers too, right? That was like kind of our campaign, if you want to get Farva out of the trunk. And uh, and we were just blown away. And we hit our goal, I think, in 20, 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah, your your initial goal was like a million bucks or something like that, right? Or was it what was the original like what you thought? And you guys had like that what was interesting was um you had you had like thresholds. It's like if you want a real live bear in the in the movie, we need to get to, you know, two million dollars or whatever the number was. But was the original number that you wanted that you were hopeful to get to was was much lower than what you ended up with. I think we originally, if I remember this several years ago, was set the original full budget. It's a 30-day Indiegogo thing. You have 30 days to raise your goal. And I think we set our goal at $2 million. Mm -hmm. And we thought that would take 30 days to reach if we were lucky. And I think we reached it in 20 or 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And then doubled it after 30 days. But we just kept the campaign every day and we tried to interact with people and we tried to have these goals, you know, because, you know, at a certain level, you you can't do things, right? So we had different scripts for different levels. Mm -hmm. And then, and then we keep saying, well, if you want a live bear, if you want uh, car chases, if you want Brian Cox, uh, these certain things that would require more money. So we would have these levels. It just kept going up and kept going up. So we got to get all the things that we wanted. What was the, I mean, I'm assuming you, you probably know this. What were like, what was like the, the biggest donation or the largest? Cause you, you were, you were with what you were paying, what you were giving is a, a through the crowdfund, you were getting a t-shirt. A, I've got a, a, a script, the original super trooper script. What was the largest, uh, the largest contribution or the, the biggest, biggest single amount? I think the single biggest amount, I think it came in the first day was we auctioned off an original trooper car from the first movie. <laughs> I think or, I missed that. Or it was a, uh, it was a trooper car, yep. but I can't remember if it was from super troopers or if it was one of the cars that we were going to use mm-hmm. in the movie and then they would take it home afterwards. Yeah. That went day one to an individual. And then we thought, well, this is great. Maybe we can, uh, maybe we could auction off several cars. But then the person said, well, it was listed as one of a kind. And I liked it because I'm a collector. And so we honored that. And we said, great, totally understand. So we just auctioned off that one car. I think it was, uh, one of the things was like 25 grand and all you guys would be in someone's wedding. Did anybody, (laughs) did anybody step up on that one? We did offer to uh, inseminate somebody. (laughs) 
but nobody took us up. We would father someone's child. And no one took us up on that offer. I was surprised. Not like some rich uh, Russian oligarch's daughter would take us up on that. And we yeah. were trying to figure out, would they pick one of us? Yep. I mean, we had the conversation with our wives. We had to ask if everyone was cool with it. <laughs> and, and, and then we were kind of nervous, like, oh, what if this happens? And then we were thinking, oh, what would they pick one of us? Like, would they want to have Farva's kid? Would they want to have Thorny's kid? Uh, or would they want all of us to, like, put everything into a salad spinner? Yeah. And, and uh, you would have traits of all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Makes makes complete sense. I mean, I, I that's kind of one of the things that I would probably put on my crowdfund as an option, you know? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. You don't know. You don't know if someone's going to pick that. <laughs> that was going to be the whole budget. If they yeah. did that, then they yeah. had to uh, fund the whole movie. Yeah. And, and then there was like, I think 25 grand, we'd be a uh, bridesmaids or groom at, groomsmen yeah. at your wedding. No, yeah. one ever, no one took us up on that. There were a couple inquiries, but yeah. Those are so, fun. Fun stuff. We wanted to make it fun. There were like, obviously t-shirts and signed scripts. And uh, we did these mega scripts, I think for Super Troopers 2, we did a Super Troopers 1 original script, and then we did Super Troopers 2 where we, we made handwritten personal notes, or we took notes that we had made on our scripts of our characters, and yeah. we included those in the script so people got to see some behind-the-scene kind of thought process behind it. Yeah. Uh, fun stuff. You know, we just wanted it to be interactive. We want to make it with the fans. So there's a ton of uh, the perks where people came on set. Mm-hmm. And so these days that we had uh, big scenes or uh, there, Rob Lowe would come on weekends. And so the people got to come on weekends and they got to meet Rob Lowe and Rob was really cool at interacting with them. And we'd all have lunch together. And so that was fun. Yeah. That, that, uh, that hits me with, with something that's amazing about you and your team. Um, because, you know, I, I'm sure that if I called you and said, and I know you've done it, you've actually, um, because we're friends, you've sent me some stuff for charity that I was, that I was doing, but what was, what really set, the whole thing apart for me was I had a couple of friends. Um, I was in Denver and uh, we, when you guys did the telethon um, on uh, April 21st or April 22nd, 2015, said, so just missed you. You were in Denver on April 20th. Um, and, um, and I had some friends that, that, that contributed and they sent me a message, you know, shortly thereafter. And they're like, man, those guys are awesome. And I was like, yeah, well, I know, I know Slohansky, but I'm assuming he, you know, you're, you're, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So I'm guessing the other guys are pretty good too. And uh, he says, they autographed everything and I got a card with it. And he got like the script and the t-shirt and it wasn't even a lot. It was like, it was like, well, I mean, it was a lot. It's a hundred bucks or something like that. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. But he was, he was amazed at the, at the, you know, and I'm assuming you guys, it was all your handwritings and you guys all signed it, but you had to have signed thousands or tens of thousands of items um, to, to yep. make sure that everybody. That was our determination for this movie, man. We, we want to make this movie. And that's, that's, that's the recipe of how you have raving fans is that commitment and dedication. I mean, you wouldn't find that in a $50 million budgeted film that's not going out and grinding and looking for it. You're not going to have, no offense to Will Ferrell, I love Will Ferrell. Um, but you're not going to have, uh, you know, Will Ferrell signing autographs to send out for, Hey, thanks for your contribution or buying your movie ticket. I mean, you guys basically did that for however many number of thousands. We also traveled around before the movie came out. We traveled around to, I want to say for two weeks, 14 cities, maybe more. We did mm-hmm. advanced screenings for Indiegogo contributors. And, uh, you know, we were at, at the screening, we did a Q and a afterwards, we hung out afterwards, kept talking, hang out with anybody that wanted to get anything signed or meet or just hang out. And we would do that 
I think we flew to like 14 different cities to have these screenings with people. So it really was a really cool interactive process. Yeah, you came to Boston for, yeah, because you, you flew from like Toronto. You were on this crazy tour because you had a screening. Yeah. I remember you gave me like, and, and you, weren't even, you weren't even planning on coming. It was like a last minute redirect from, I think, Toronto or someplace and flying into Boston to make an appearance for the, for the screening. Nobody was expecting you guys. And you sent me a message and were like, hey, you want to come to the, to the screening? I'll be there in two hours. And I was like, I'm in Tennessee or wherever I was. I was like, yeah, so you won't make it. Um, but, uh, you know, this is an amazing story that most people probably don't see. And if they just go and watch you on screen, they just figure, you know, well-funded financed and, you know, good for them. And, uh, the reality is you guys grinded and dug harder than just about anybody. And I think the, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong, but you could have made more money and had more surface success if you did that sequel right away right you had the following you could have had the funding from the from the movie theaters you could have done all that stuff but you guys chose to do you guys chose to do what you wanted to do that you were passionate about in the way that you wanted to do it you never lost focus of what was important to you which was what you loved and how you loved it yeah we made club dread afterwards which uh at the time wasn't the (laughs) we look back like i don't know if that was the I mean, it was a good decision because it's what we wanted to do, what you're talking about, right? But financially, it wasn't as successful as Super Troopers 2 would have been. People were expecting the same characters, and we decided to try something very different. Uh, horror comedy, where we all play the opposite characters that we played in the last movie. Mm-hmm. And it was what we wanted to do. I mean, we loved it. And now, I think a lot of people are catching on to Club Dread that didn't at the time. I mean, people were like, where's, you know, where's Farva? <laughs> they just kind of really wrapped their mind around the fact that we were a sketch comedy group and wanted to try different characters. Yeah. You know, they, they, they see Kevin and they see Farva. And, you know, they just want that. Mm-hmm. They just want Kevin to play that character. Um, when in reality, we love playing all sorts of different characters. Well, I think that makes sense. I think that's what keeps you who you are and keeps you grounded as as the 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 different characters that you are. You're not put in that position of, oh, that's just rabbit. You're Eric Stolhansky that's played dot 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 all these different roles that that have their own uniqueness to them. And I think that's pretty cool. And I and I don't think there's enough of that. Um, so I'm I'm glad you've made the decisions you've made and done the things that you've done uh, and the success that you've seen from it. And, 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 and the fanatic raving fans that you have, like I went to the, I went and watched super troopers two, three or four times. I grabbed people wherever I was. Hey, you gotta go check out this movie. This is a, we can get some tickets in the box office, get these guys paid. And, uh, and seeing, uh, you know, and in seeing the, um, the fans, they were genuinely, they were there, they were excited. They, they felt like they were part of the family. Um, and the, and the laughter that everybody kind of had in unison, it's like almost, it's like your fans all have similar humor understanding yeah, uh, and they all, they all laugh at all the same stuff. And I, no, I mean, it's, you know, there's movies that, that have different elements of, of pe- causing people to laugh. Right. Yeah. But your movies, you go sit in a movie theater, everybody laughs in sync. And as I've ta- told you, and one of the things that got me to ask you to do this podcast with me is the importance of laughter. I think you have one of the greatest career opportunities, which is getting people to smile and laugh uh, in a world that we don't do enough of it at. And uh, I just think that's really cool. Thanks. Yeah. Humor is, uh, 
I can't say enough about it. You know, we could all use it in our daily lives. How we just break down barriers and get us to connect more, communicate better, and relate to each other so much more. We could all just relax a little bit, breathe, and just find ways to make each other laugh. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, that'll that's good point to to kind of transition into the the, the uh, probably the the how we got here and what we're doing. You're in Minneapolis. Uh, goes without saying, we're in July and and in May. Uh, Minneapolis just had a uh, an absolute tragedy, a murder that that rocked the country, um, and unfortunately, that turned into uh, a lot of justifiably angry people. Some put it in the right ways, and some people didn't, and were incredibly destructive to their own communities or to communities that they chose to protest in. Um, and I saw a couple of videos that you posted that you were reluctant, I believe, to post of downtown Minneapolis and areas that were that were hit pretty hard um and it 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 struck me I mean I'd love to hear you know I can't imagine what that was like the you're you're how do you you say a Minneapolis a a Minnesotan uh um, you're a Minnesotan I mean what 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 was that all like for you and what like what was the emotions that you felt doing it and putting that video out you know what were you yeah, basically, my wife and I, uh, we drove around several days after sort of the big, big events. And we've, you know, just uh, documented, I guess, we took some video of the different neighborhoods that had been burned down and boarded up. And uh, we took video of it. And I guess the reason I was hesitant to post it is like, I didn't want, I, I wasn't trying to make a political statement of, and I don't like when people on social media just jump to the idea of having to politically have their point of views and like criticize each other. That wasn't my point. It was more documenting uh, for people to see, you know, firsthand what, what it was like and the impact that all this had. Uh, It's never something I would have expected in the town that I grew up in. And I hear that from a lot of people. People say, wow, I never thought that was going to happen in Minneapolis, but obviously it did and it was here and it's real and uh, you still feel it as you drive around still stores are closed and I was watching the local news last night and the guy whose uh, restaurant was burned down. Uh, he had been saving his whole life, you know, for this restaurant and it got burned down the ground and the riots. And he was like, what did I do to deserve this? You know, and he didn't have enough insurance. And so there's a crowdfunding campaign to help him get his restaurant back up in the neighborhood, which is cool. You know, that you see the support from people coming together to help. And that's encouraging. Um, you just hope that there's something positive comes out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the town, the town right now is kind of hurting and a lot of people are wondering, do I, you know, bring my business here? Do I restart a business here? And you just hope that there's some positive change that comes out of it. And then it turns, gets back to being a, a town that people are proud to be in part of. Yeah. Um, it, and it's, Minneapolis, St. Paul, or, or it's, I, I love it out there. I've always, uh, you came uh, here and you, uh, you won the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> you did some scratch offs there yeah. for, right? You, yeah. you won the, a scratch off ticket and then you bought Barbara and I burgers and beers at this really great, yeah, uh, happy gnome. Closed, the happy gnome, which was a great restaurant and it just recently closed. The try meat burger, venison. Uh, what was it? Vent. There was three different meats to it. It was, was it beef and beef and buffalo. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. 
Um, yeah, yeah. No, that was the yeah. July 2015, my house is completely destroyed. I go on a last-minute business trip that I'm going to be in uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin for about 24 hours, and I get to the the gate. If anybody knows the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport, it is, a, it is enormous. It's and, big. It's um, a hub, yeah, international hub, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so I'm at the gate. I'm on a conference call, and I'm pacing. I'm just I'm, – I'm, I've had no sleep, and uh, I just keep walking by – the gate and there's this machine and i just say who puts a scratch ticket machine at the airport <laughs> and the people on the call are like what and i'm like oh sorry my inside voice came out and uh i'm just staring at the thing i don't know why i'm just staring at it and again my house is was completely destroyed from the polar vortex i'm i'm feeling all of the way to finance and everything and i just go guys i gotta go i'm boarding my flight hang up the phone, I buy a $20 scratch ticket. I'll never forget it. And I'm walking down the jetway and I'm scratching the ticket. And the, the person behind me is like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just scratching this scratch ticket here. And I get done and I'm like, I just won $10,000. And they're like, what? I'm like, I just won $10,000. And I mean, I'm, I do 100 plus flights a year for the last five, six years. And this was unplanned. And uh, I had a decision to make, stay, stay in Minnesota one more day and go to the lottery commission or take my chances and mail it or come back at another time or something like that. And I said, well, I'll just get on the plane and fly home. And I'm sitting here going, this is like that Alanis Morissette song where it's, <laughs> it's a lottery dies the very next day and I'm getting on a plane. I'm going, Oh God, what do I do? What do I do? But yeah, I won, I, I won 10 grand. And I called the lottery commission when I gave them the ticket. It, it takes a while to process because they only have fifty ten thousand dollar winners on a on a $20 ticket. Like that's like a, a dollar or a $5 ticket in Massachusetts. That's like one of the lower prizes. Um, but this was like one of their grand prizes. I remember I called the lottery commission and, and this woman answers the phone and all I could picture was my grandmother that makes, that's baking the neighborhood cookies. She's like, hello. And I go, is this the lottery commission? She's like, oh yes. Yes, sweetie. How can I help you? I'm like, I'm just trying to see if you guys, you know, processed my check, you know, did, it, did everything go all right? And she's like, oh, is this Josh? <laughs> Honest to God, go to Minnesota lottery commission. And she's like, is this Josh? I'm like, I guess you don't have a lot of checks that you process. She's like, no, nope, put it in the mail yesterday. I was like, this is great. But yeah, no, won won the lottery in uh, 2015, 10 grand. That's fantastic. So now, now listeners know you got a, a kind of a winner of the lottery. It wasn't Mega Millions or Powerball, but it was still a, a big win in Minnesota. Uh, um, great, good timing for you during that. Uh, oh, race. yeah, it's been crazy, crazy couple of years. Um, but great years because I get great people around me and uh, very, very lucky. Um, you know, one of the things, parting thoughts, I think everybody should follow you on social media. Uh, one of the things you've been, agree. you've become much more active on social media. And the reason why I didn't want to do this podcast, um, was because started, it was probably sometime in April, you just randomly started putting just a, a box with the day on it, You're like <laughs> Tuesday. And then it was Wednesday and it was Thursday. And finally I'm like, Hey, thanks for reminding me what day it is. And, and I sent you a text. And then like four days later, your post pops up and I'm like, geez, all this time I thought it was Monday and it's really Wednesday. Like, it came in handy. But you literally get hundreds of shares every single day of a post that just says what day it is. It's amazing. It, <laughs> I mean, think about that's 
Like you just put the day every day. You're, you have the human calendar for social media. And even when people don't like it on social media, I'll run into people and they'll, they'll be like, hey, thanks for reminding me what day it is. Screaming <laughs> at me in the hallway. I'm like, hey, welcome. <laughs> I didn't even, you know, I think it would turn into anything, but a lot of people do like check. Yep. These are calendars. Well, I, uh, I think, like I say, you're on Instagram, you're on Facebook. You don't do much on LinkedIn, uh, but you're there too. Um, you're on Twitter too. I, don't, I haven't done much with Twitter. Now that I found out everybody got hacked and uh, they can't, even if you change your password, did you hear about that? Oh, was that recent? Yeah, it was like yesterday. Like Bill Gates, like all of the major uh, uh, Twitter, all the major people, uh, there was apparently a pretty serious like hack that they, I don't even know the whole deal, but it was like you, you, they were asking you to send Bitcoin and they were going to match it. I think Obama got hacked and they said even changing your password wasn't going wasn't gonna to fix it. They were in. It raised like a hundred thousand dollars on that scam yesterday. <laughs> it's just crazy. I know. How do people fall for that? But I guess yeah. it must have seemed, it must have appeared to be real. Well, I mean, it's you have to think that you, you you follow someone. Like if I followed you, and there's a post there and says, "Hey, you know, we had great success with our movie. I'm going to match everything up to five thousand dollars." I mean, people today, it's amazing when you think about. We only hear about the bad stories, right? We only hear about the GoFundMe's that go wrong, the New Jersey couple that the that the woman, you know, took the last twenty dollars that the homeless guy had, raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then spent it all. Um, we only hear about those those stories. Uh, we don't hear about the the feel good, great stories that happen uh, that people are supporting um, that 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 have a as positive an outcome as possible. Um, and this country has a lot of people that are very giving that restaurant you're talking about i think that was the uh he was a firefighter is that was that the right one um he hadn't opened yeah there's there's one there's one that that uh he and his wife he was a firefighter they they took their life savings and retirement and they were building a restaurant and um they literally like they were like weeks from opening and uh and it then it was set on fire and burned down and they didn't have insurance they didn't have the insurance i think the, i think the story is that they didn't have the proper insurance because they weren't open yet um yeah, this so, guy was saying, you know people just don't know what the proper insurance is so you think you might have it and then this happens and you realize you don't have it after it's too late so right well, hopefully they raise all the money needed because it's much deserved but you know, every, we, we have, you know if we look past all of the stuff um we have some of the most generous and giving people and sadly there's a lot of uh, folks out there that want to take advantage, um, not just, um, you know, and, and, you know, the laugh is the emails we get, you know, dear Josh, I'm your long lost sixth cousin from England and I've got $78 million for you. And all you have to do is put $750 to Western union and I'll send it to you type of thing. It's, right. it comes, comes in all shapes and sizes. So um, yeah, definitely be on the lookout, be on the lookout. Don't, don't give money to folks you don't know, or even the ones that you do know. Make sure you fact check it. Um, but uh, went completely off track. It seems track. like free money, ain't? Oh yeah, yeah. Nothing's free. It all comes. If anything you get out of this, uh, it's all it's hard work, grinding. It's uh, rational determination and foolish perseverance. So, how do people get a hold of you? Um, I'm, you said you just did a speaking gig recently. I'm sure yeah. you could do virtual keynotes or in-person keynotes as this happens. Is that something you still want to continue to do? Yeah, it's been fun. I was happy that I got to go to California. Now things are kind of spiking. I was there a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I, I love being in front of people and interacting with people. You know, I got a slide presentation, and um, 
you know, that's, I did it with your business as well. And it's fun being in front of an audience. I, I haven't delivered a virtual one yet, but I, I assume I could. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do have a website, but it got hacked every day. I just get a hundred spams in it. So I don't use that as a reliable source. If anybody's interested in uh, inquiring about speaking, uh, best way to reach me is through Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. And it's Eric, E-R-I-K, Stolhansky. Yeah. I'm with a couple of speakers bureaus as well, but um, you can probably just contact me through social yeah. media. I'll put all of your stuff on the uh, show notes on all of this. Um, appreciate you taking the time. I'm just glad you and I got to see each other in person. I get tired of texting and calling and uh, giving you giving you an occasional hard time. And uh, got to find a vaccine. Yeah, got to find something. World. Yeah, yep. No, that's um. This is this has been. You know, one of the things that this has been, you and I haven't seen each other in five years. It's hard to believe. We've been friends for almost 10 and we've just, we've, we've passed each other in airports. We've been in each other's cities and the other has been somewhere else. Um, but we haven't actually seen each other in five years. And I think that if um, everything was the way that it was, we probably wouldn't see each other yet now. So I think the good, the good aspect to this is that you and I got to spend a little time virtually as close to in person as possible. Um, it's a good way to reconnect with people. I mean, you feel like you're in the same room. Oh yeah. Well, except for mine, I look like I'm in like a, uh, shower or something. I gotta, I gotta work on the curtain in the uh, studio space in the basement. Um, just glad the dogs didn't bark or anybody shut the lights off on me or anything. They, they actually remembered <laughs> I was down here <laughs> up with a cellar dweller doing work down there. Sorry, um, leave that alone. He's down there working. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's down in the basement. Cobbling away, figuring out how to make things happen. Uh, so, but like uh, You're grinding it out, man. It's all about grinding it out. It's this is hard. This is, I think this is the. I think that this is. Uh, I think this is going to be the hardest. Most. I hope. There's parts of me that hopes that this is the hardest, most challenging time of my life, and there's parts of me that, when I think about it, I think that the the accomplishments that many of us will have on the other end of this not only will make us smarter, stronger, and faster. Um, it will make us much better. And, uh, that's my, that's my, my hope. Um, and if something's more challenging, I hope that it's not at the, at the, at the cost of the lives and finances and everything else that's hit everybody, um, all in different, different levels. I mean, none of us are actually in the same boat. We're all in, in a boat and I all have holes, but, uh, they're different sizes. And I listen to, you know, some people's stories and I think I'm really lucky. And then there's stories I listen to and I go, wow, I got it really really tough but uh it's all mindset you know and and my mind wasn't right for a while uh so hopefully i'm back on track i actually feel like i'm in a in a studio i got light boxes and monitors and all sorts of stuff down here and i'm hoping to get somebody to finish off a little space so it looks a little bit more professional but work in progress so good you're grinding i love it man yeah i always liked your attitude josh so it's good talking to you you too my friend so uh, that'll do it here. I appreciate you, Eric. Uh, keep, stay safe out there and keep putting the days on because God knows I forget at least four or five of those days that end in Y. Um, just great yeah, to have. Yeah, uh, we all stay safe and uh, can keep society open a little bit so we don't have to completely shut it down. It's nice to be partially open right now. Well, let's let's plan to see each other in person uh, when all this stuff lifts. We'll figure out a way to, to uh, either put my, my uh, miles to use or figure out where we're in the same city uh at some point um hopefully in the near future so that's good josh good talking buddy appreciate you. you too
And that'll do it for this episode of the Be Awesome Podcast. This was great to be able to catch up to a fan from a dis- to a friend from a distance and talk about their raving fans and uh, everything that they've that, that Eric has done over the course of his career and the course of his life. Hopefully you guys got a little bit out of that. And uh, we're back on track. We've been off for a little bit. Took a not a mini vac. We took a staycation of sorts from the podcast. Um, but we're gonna get back and we're gonna get some more local keeping it local guests to promote our Eastern uh, businesses and people that are keeping their, uh, their businesses going, their lives going as best as they can through these challenging times and keeping our community together, which is most important right now. So thanks for listening. As always, uh, you're keeping me at the top 6% of podcast channels. I think that's where I'm rated or at least where I tell myself I'm rated. Uh, it all comes with ratings, reviews, downloads, subscriptions, likes and shares. That's how people measure, measure uh, podcasts by. And as I said, uh, a couple podcasts ago, there's over 1 million podcasts. When I started two years ago, there were 650,000 podcast channels. There's over a million today and only a hundred thousand of them have 10 likes or comments. Uh, that's if you don't have 10 family or friends that can do likes and comments for you, I got, I don't know. I don't know what happens there. Um, but I'm very blessed to have 55 uh, 55 or 56 family friends and be awesome followers that have been kind enough to give me their time and their words on the uh, iTunes podcast channel. So hopefully you continue that because uh, I want to continue to grow this and make sure that people see hear, and uh, learn from my great guests because uh, they, they make this thing, whole, this whole thing happen. So if you can be anything, be awesome. Talk to you soon. Uh,